Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast, the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into an automated sales machine with the latest marketing, email, sales, and social media advice, strategies, and tips from experts without the fluff. Your host, Caroline Balinska, the founder of JustAskParker.com, the only small marketing task agency for Shopify owners. With over 10 years experience in marketing, manufacturing, design, and e-commerce, she shares her knowledge and interviews the experts to help you in your journey to success. Now, here's your host, Caroline Balinska. Hi, welcome everyone back to the podcast. So great to have everyone here. I am actually truly excited today. I don't say this very often, but I think that our guest today is actually going to be someone that I'm going to be walking away from learning so much from. So Raphael Romas actually came across my email just recently. And as soon as I saw his email, it stood out to me and I went, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. So Raphael is actually a branding expert and he is going to be talking all about unicorns today, which as soon as I saw it was about unicorns, I was so excited. So Raphael has had so much experience in the digital world, 20 years experience with big brands, including Disney and HBO. So I'm, like I said, I'm so excited to have him on the show today. So let's get straight into it. Let's say hello and hear a little bit more about Raphael. Raphael, how are you today? Doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Wonderful. So tell us, tell the listeners a little bit more about you, more about what you're doing with yourself and how you can help people. Sure. So I started getting into the online world through marketing. At the beginning, it was just SEO. And soon enough, I figured out that I really enjoy the creative and just getting creative with uh, design and marketing. So that's how I started my digital agency through which we've worked on hundreds of websites. And out of those experiences, we found that there is a sweet spot, and that sweet spot is for e-commerce. And we really started focusing on e-commerce and trying to figure out what it is that makes certain e-commerce companies successful, others wildly successful, and others to fail. And after several years of uh, looking and studying and trying things, I think we figured it out. And it does come down to the unicorns. <laughs> like you said, we, we coined the term the unicorn principle, which we'll be talking about today, which basically is all about the idea that if you find a truly unique value proposition that makes your audience care about your product and your brand, then you will get a ton of sales. And we've seen this so many times over and over again it just works as long as you find it and use it it works well that is exactly why when you came across when i came across you in my inbox i went wow you definitely know about branding and this is an area i get really passionate about and i tell people that they really need to think about this so it's wonderful to have you here and i know that everyone's going to get so much out of today's show so I do, I had a look at your website and you've got generateculture.com and I see that you've got quite a few beauty brands that you work with. That seems to be your specialty with beauty brands. But I think today you will be sort of giving us a general idea overall with the unicorn principle. Yeah, definitely. I would say that the unicorn principle applies to pretty much any business, even more so e-commerce because you're appealing to, to consumers, but even to you know, business services. The idea is the same. You have to figure out 
what is the problem you're solving, what is your unique value proposition, and then people will buy. You just have to, to piece it the right way. Fantastic. So I want to get into a couple of questions that I have for you. And um, the first thing that I want to know is what do you think the biggest reason is that startups actually fail when they're, you know, especially e-commerce stores? Why do you think they actually fail? I believe that the biggest reason they fail is that they fail to understand what it is that they're solving for their, their customers. Mm. And I've fallen guilty to that too. I'll never forget, we did our wedding when we had our wedding in Mexico with my wife and we wanted to buy, have you seen those Chinese lanterns that you light up? Yes, yes. So they're really beautiful and we needed a lot of them because we had a lot of people and we wanted to have at least a couple for each person and I was able to buy them through Alibaba at roughly about a dollar each. Fast forward to six months later, I see a group on of someone that was selling one of those lanterns for, I don't remember the exact price, but let's say he was selling it for $10 at a 50% discount, $5. So I'm like, whoa, you know, look at that. <laughs> He's selling something at a 500% margin mm-hmm. that I was able to import from a quick researcher, right? If it was my business, I could probably get it for even less. Mm-hmm. And that's why I started a small business there. I just bought a bunch of lanterns and I thought I'll just sell them for $4. Not so much. <laughs> They're still in my in my closet. So the, the key there is it's very, very difficult to just take a product that looks like it would be a hit and try to sell it just because of that. You need to think about what it is that this product is addressing in the market because there is so many things in the market right now and there are companies that have a bigger marketing budget than you do, so they'll people will see them first. So if you don't find a way to stand out, then you're just not going to stand out. And unfortunately, the market is not big enough to to pay everyone, and they only do pay the, the, market, the people that do stand out. So that's the key here. I would say that the biggest reason that startup companies fail is that they fail to realize what it is that they're giving to their audience. It's almost never as simple as you know, the product and the cheaper price. There's always a problem that they're addressing with a product. Okay, so I'm going to ask you something just because I know my audience really well and I know what they'll be thinking a lot of them will be thinking right now is some of them will be sitting there saying, yeah, but my thing doesn't solve any any problems. So say, for instance, one of my clients sells candle holders. What's she solving? She's definitely solving the problem of... Um, well, I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm Googling candle holders. Is that literally uh, where you're going to put the candle, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> right. So basically, the the idea there is that, yeah, you're selling a candle holder. You're thinking, you know, what's the what's the problem that it's solving? But the, the, real, the reality of it is that anytime you sell something, anytime someone is buying what you're selling, they are buying it because you're addressing their problem. And in this case... It's not as simple as just finding a place to put their candle. They can put it anywhere. Mm. It's finding uh, an item that will make them feel good, that they'll be able to show to their guests, and when the guests see it, they'll feel good about themselves. So what you're doing is you're selling essentially a decorative item that if you try to focus on how it would make them feel, then 
you really have something there. So you don't have to say, buy this candle holder and it will make your life better, but maybe if you brand, if you surround it with pictures of really beautiful, you know, homes or living rooms that have the candle holder and maybe uh, a crowd of people and how it stands out or something like that within mm. a plethora of other things, then all of a sudden you make it look a lot more special. And it's still a candle holder, but all of a sudden it's a more special candle holder. And the big companies are doing this very, very well. And it all comes down to emotion. So if you find a way to spark an emotional response um, from your audience, then they will buy. I, I heard a, a beautiful quote, which was that people buy because of emotion and then they justify with logic. Mm. Candle holders is a beautiful example because you could go to Ikea and you can buy a $5 candle holder that looks just fine. Or you can go to, I don't know, there's a store here called VMF that will have a candle holder for maybe 200 bucks. Mm. And what's it, is, is one going to solve your problem better than the other? They both hold candles. Exactly. But the way that they're positioned and the way that they're proposed to you as a solution, you know, this is the candle holder that you really want, really makes a huge difference. And it can be candle holders. It can even be a bug zapper that I bought the other day, you know? Yeah. It really comes down to making it more than just the product. Because the product, if you actually look at the actual product, rarely will you find that it is so much better than anything else. Maybe it is, maybe it's a little better, but it's never going to be that much better to the point where it will stand out on its own. Because people are not even going to take the time to really dig deep and look at how the materials are constructed and things like that. But they will look at a picture and they will look at your copy, which I think is very important. I've seen copy do wonders for conversions. And it all comes down to emotion. I wish I could come up with a really cool tagline for candle holders on the spot <laughs> so I can illustrate with an example. But what I will say is that you can take it anywhere you want. You can even have a candle holder and say that, you know, be bold with this candle holder. And then logically you're thinking, what the hell are you talking about? How can you be bold with a candle holder? But if the candle holder has a special color of some sort, mm. then it's going to spark something. It's going to spark a little bit of emotion. And then that's all it takes to get a slight edge so that I can choose this candle holder over something else. No, I love it. It's exactly, you know, it's exactly what I think. And your example of how important it is that, you know, using something like that is be bold. So many people and clients of mine are using drop shipping and these drop shipping Ubaloo and things like that. You can get these products, these candle holders, whatever it is, and they don't have great descriptions. People are just importing the descriptions as they are, but they're not actually taking the time to sit down and think about the emotional aspect of that. And I've already written down four notes that you said, what are you solving? You need to stand out, spark an emotional response, and people buy with emotion and justify with logic. You're already giving people so many great tips. And I think that, you know, anyone listening really needs to understand how important this is. And like you're saying, you know, just taking that little bit of extra step and thinking of something that stands out can make all the difference. And so tell us more about the unicorn principle. You sort of mentioned it before, but 
that was sort of the whole thing that I wanted to know more about. So before we go any further, I'd love to know all about the unicorn principle in a little bit more detail or a lot more detail. Sure. So I'll start with, like, I love examples and stories. So I'll just give you another story. 2012 was the year when we started working with this brand new uh, company called Melt Cosmetics. And the company was started by two girls, Dana and Laurie, that were uh, makeup artists. They were working in Nordstrom. And they decided to start a lipstick line because they wanted, uh, that's by the way, in reference to the example before, they wanted bolder colors. They wanted really big brush. So what happened is they started promoting their products as the new standout colors by using them on their own makeup clients and just posting it on social media. And all along the way, they were really highlighting how these these products are so unique because there is no other color that is so strong and so intense. So yeah. You know, it's so intense, exactly. And by doing that, so posting pictures, talking about color intensity, boldness, it created this allure behind the brand that people started wondering, you know, where is it? How can we buy it? The brand was not there yet. I mean, the product was still in production, but they started it like six months or a year ahead. Fast forward to the day that we were about to launch the website. We were going to put it up at midnight. And so we did. And in less than an hour, they sold out of everything. Wow. That's what I call the unicorn principle. So the idea is if you find your unique value proposition, and in this case, when Melt first came out, it really was the only company that had colors that looked like that. Because they don't, you know, traditionally lipsticks have, you know, various different shades, but they never go beyond a certain intensity. Mm. Melt did that. And by promoting that, by promoting that really unique element, which is not really the color, nobody necessarily cares about the actual color, but if you wear a lipstick that is a super, super, super bright red, you stand out. Mm. You're bolder. You know, you're, you have that different look and feel that makes you stand out. And that's exactly what they promoted. Be bold with our, with our makeup. And they used it perfectly. They used it by sharing other people's use of the product. Well, they applied the makeup on them, but then they posted the picture of the clients. And then beautiful uh, copywriting in their posts because it was very genuine. And out of that, they essentially created a brand that when it launched, brand new, you know, no advertising spend even. You know, not that this is common, but I'm just saying that this is how powerful this can be. sold out. So I think that was such so beautiful to see as a marketer and digital person because it just shows you the power of what a carefully crafted, unique value proposition that is used properly can do. It can really just light your sales on fire. They just had to restock right away and the, the people were begging them to do that. Yeah, fantastic. That's fantastic. So what is or what are the main questions that a brand or a company and e-commerce or needs to think about and ask themselves when starting out when thinking about the unicorn principle? They need to think about, well, obviously, they need to think about what's the unique value proposition. But this is trickier than it sounds. For example, if I'm selling candle holders and my candle holder 
is more sturdy than another candle holder, yeah, that might be unique, but nobody's going to care about that. I mean, some people will, but it's not going to be enough to really make your company a success. But now, if you're selling a, a candle holder that is super edgy because it has a crazy picture on it, then that is very different. And especially if the picture has a certain theme, then you become that theme. And then that becomes your unique value proposition. So that's something that, assuming that the theme is unique, would be unique enough to actually work with. So that's one. You need to find something that's really unique, will really make you stand out in the way that your audience cares. That's the second most important thing. I mean, that is essentially the most important thing, but that would be the second step. So you want to think about what it is about your brand and company and product that is unique. And sometimes it could be yourself. That's actually really mm. important as well. Um, a lot of times you'll have a, a company that was started by someone for a certain cause, for example. And that the cause could be the unique value proposition. Or you might have someone that had something happen and then they decided to start a business. So then they become the brand. And the product is just, you know, something that comes with the brand. But what they're buying is not necessarily just the actual product, or rather, the reason why they choose to buy from you is not necessarily the product, but it could be you. It could be what, what you stand for. So it could be a lot of different things. And you want to think about those things, ask all those questions about what could it be? What is special about me? Why did I start this company? Why did I choose to sell this product? Ask all those questions, and then once you have a list of items that make you unique, the second question is, how about my competition. Do they have those things? If the answer is yes, that's not a unique value proposition. Mm. Obviously, they're not going to have all of those things, so then you're going to be left out with a few more. And then you want to think about those and consider your audience. Also very tricky, and sometimes you're not going to get it right, but the whole key is to really think about it, really listen to your audience, hear, hear what they say. You want to have your ear on social media, reviews, and really, really try to understand what it is that you're solving. Because a lot of times it's in front of your face, but it's not exactly what you think. And perfect example, I just bought a, a bowl for water for our puppy. And I remember, I really wanted to get the best one because we love her so much. Mm -hmm. And our problem was that for whatever reason, I still don't know what the reason was, she stopped using her dog bowl. She would not drink from her dog bowl. I don't know if something fell on it, didn't like the taste, whatever. So I started looking for the best one. And I, you know, I did research as if it's such a, you know, difficult thing to buy, but still. And I ran upon one on Amazon that said, uh, the dog bowl that will really help uh, increase the water intake and make your dog healthier. And I'm a marketer, right? So I know that chances are this is not necessarily like super legit, but at the same time, it gave me a little bit of a net. I'm like, huh, maybe they have put some thought into this. And maybe this, the, different, the slightly different shape will give my puppy a little bit more water and maybe they will be a little bit healthier. Why not? Do I care about paying $3 more? I don't. So something like that, uh, because they talked about health, 
even though I was just looking, I mean, for a water bowl would sound so insignificant and simple, but they brought health into it. And I thought I'm paying those $3 because I'm going to help my puppy be a little bit more healthy. And so I went for it. So I think that's the key. You want to think about uh, emotion and problem solving, even if your product seems like it doesn't necessarily solve a, a unique product, so a unique problem. So that's really what it comes down to. And these are the, the questions you want to ask yourself so you can find what it is that it, your unique value proposition is and whether your audience will care about it. And so do you, from saying that, I had a question for you, but you've actually made me think that maybe it's, I'm just thinking how to word this. Um, I'm just so like in depth with your story because it's so true. Yeah. Us as marketers, I do the same thing. I'm like, oh yeah, right. That can't be true. But you've just given a really good example. Even as a marketer, it's like, hang on, maybe that is better. So if we think like that as marketers, the general public thinks, you know, probably without, you know, the negative things that we think. So in saying that. It also comes down to this. I mean, uh, even if you think that this maybe is not super true, I also don't think that it's a, a super lie, meaning that I don't think it's worse than anything. So if anything, maybe it's better. And then the logic kicks in, and I'm like, okay, it's three dollars more expensive. Uh, okay, I can do three dollars more expensive for the potential that it might actually be better. That that's what it comes. Yeah. Out. It's less about. Uh, of course, it depends on your product. Of course, it depends on your audience. If I'm selling computers to technical people. That's not the approach I want to take. I want to tell them why my product is actually better in terms of specs. But 90% of the time, or 99% of the time... So you don't want to lie is what you're saying. Is that, you know, of course, you don't want to lie about it. So you don't lie about the specs of it. But you can... Exactly. You're talking more on the emotional. Like that water comment is hitting you emotionally, yeah? Not about the specs. There's no lies. Exactly, exactly. So in saying that, like I said to you before, a lot of my clients are with Ubaloo, using Ubaloo or um, AliExpress and they're doing drop shipping. So a lot of people are getting, you know, they'll go and choose a thousand products and put them all up on their website. And my biggest thing that I tell them is your, your description is terrible. You need to fix your description. And what you're saying is that you're looking on Amazon. There's hundreds of dog water bowls out there, not just on Amazon, but Target everywhere. Yeah. So there's dog, dog bowls are a pretty standard thing. It's nothing unique in that. But what you've just explained is that it's amazing how you can take the most ordinary product that's not anything, you know, the price points, you might be able to get a gold one, so it'll be more, but a plastic dog bowl is a plastic dog bowl, but you've just found one that is unique in its wording. So it is possible for people to take that ordinary product and make it unique by adding something extra to it in the description. Oh, 100%. I would say that... I mean, you gave a perfect example. So if you're using Overlow and you have the same products as hundreds of other stores or hundreds of other sellers on Amazon and another hundreds of other sellers on eBay, then just using the default description mm. will just take you nowhere. So description is number one. You want to make sure that you position your product in a different way that makes it more unique because if you don't, Somebody has it for a deeper price. Yeah, because then it comes down to price, doesn't it? Then you're just arguing over price and not about the emotion of it. Exactly. And that's not a game you're going to win. I remember when I was working with a client in the electronics industry, 
And he was telling me that people are literally sending it a loss because they they use the email of the customer to then try to sell them more stuff. And I'm like, how can you, how can you compete with that? You just can't. People will just be people. Someone will have a lot of stock and they'll just destroy the price. So you have to find something else that they cannot touch. And if you manage to build a brand around it, when I say brand, I almost never mean a logo or a color palette. I think that's a different type of branding. Also important, but very, you know, completely different story. I'm talking about more about addressing your audience and really making the, the thing that matters to them stand out. Apple is one of the best examples, right? They're selling electronics, uh, computers and cell phones, and they were so powerful in their marketing that they changed the way, the way that the whole industry markets. Do you remember like five, 10 years ago when you saw a commercial for a computer, how it was all about the specs? Yeah. It's RAM has and a hard drive and all that. Apple comes about and they show you the grandfather that is talking to his granddaughter on his computer and smiling and so beautiful and it just makes you feel so nice and warm. And you're like, oh my God, this is such a good product. It's a good emotion is basically what we're saying. And I want to have that. And Apple is just the masters of that, right? They're selling phones by showing you photography. How crazy is that? <laughs> it's a different world, isn't it? <laughs> right? But it works so well. I, it even worked. I, I don't have an iPhone, but I'm a little bit jealous. I mean, I see this big billboard outside my house of, um, what is it? The latest one, I think, is like uh, a big mountain and a person staring at the mountain. And then at the bottom, it says, shot with an iPhone. I'm like, oh, wow. How cool is that? Yeah, it's and we're talking about a phone. It's not a, a camera that they're selling. They're selling a freaking phone. Yeah, but it's just so beautiful to see. <laughs> yeah, the words. I think Apple is a great example. Yeah, the words that they use have made such a big difference. You know, I've got a Mac, and um, I grew up. My dad's an electronic engineer. I've grown up with computer people. People laugh at me that I have a Mac. Yeah, because in a lot of ways, the specs are actually not that good. But really, it's the emotion that they're selling and, you know, they're, I'm a PC, I'm a Mac. Ads were, you know, a great yes. example of that as well. Yeah, totally, totally. So tell us as well when you actually define your unique selling proposition. So let me just clarify before we move on is that what you're saying is if you are getting products from Ubaloo, it's not about creating a brand of having the McDonald's arches of yellow and red. You don't have to stick to that. It's not about creating a logo. It's about creating a feeling about your brand and then taking that and the products that you have in there, creating a feeling around them, creating the emotion. Like you said, people buy with emotion and they justify with logic. So once you've got your products and you know what they are, and you've got that unique selling proposition. Can you tell us where people need to use this information? So once they have that, what can they do with that information? Sure. I was actually thinking as you were talking about a good way to illustrate the width uh, overload. And I thought that one way to do it would be to still select the products that you want to select but maybe try to find products that would appeal to a certain theme or audience. So for example, 
if you're gonna buy decorative items like candle holders and stuff like that then maybe have them all be along the same style or price point and then even though you have a lot of different products you can group them as one mm. and then create a brand around the one item or if you're gonna sell dog bowls maybe make it about the cause of helping pets be healthier and you have a series of products that will help with that you're not lying you know water is very healthy and having a dog feeding bowl that will maybe release a little bit of dog food at the time will help your dog with its diet you know so there's a lot of truth there is just that the way that you position it is much more than just a product and, and more about the emotion and the the problem that you're solving now once you figure out what you're doing what you're what you're solving what your unique value proposition is you just have to use it everywhere and you want to be consistent because every touch point that you have with your customer base can help them get closer to converting or coming back and converting again so it can really be very very powerful which means on your website you know your homepage talk about your unique value proposition you know you want to show your products of course but talk about what it is that your products are actually addressing more than their price or how something is on a special you know uh, and then your marketing once again don't just post a picture of your candle holder but maybe post a picture of someone holding it in a certain way and talk about the person and the product just happens to be there you know just thinking out loud here but basically the idea is use your unique value proposition whatever it is if it's yourself then your face has to be everywhere basically um so that people keep remembering that and then they'll come and buy so it's just it's just how it works versus just pushing out your product everywhere you know you, you want to try and do both but push your product in the, the way that makes it more than just a product basically that's what i'm saying yeah showing that emotion so showing giving the same information on instagram as well as the front page of your website and as well as your email is actually a good thing it's not a bad thing it's not like someone's going to get bored of that you're just repeating what they need to know yes exactly. and so tell me if someone's listening to this and they're in that situation where they've already got Uberloo, they've already got products and they're going, oh, why didn't I know this six months ago? Is there a difference between whether you have already got your website set up and your product set up? And if you're just starting out, is there anything different when defining your unique selling proposition or is it the same? It's exactly the same. The only thing I would say is that if you already have a brand, you're already making some sales. If you're not making sales, who cares? You're essentially a new brand. So just do it right. <laughs> Now, if you are making sales, then you also want to be careful because the way that this works is that you are essentially focusing on a specific audience. It can be larger, it can be smaller, but it's a specific audience. So I'm trying to think of another example rather than the dog bowl because I think that saying that your dog will be healthier will appeal to any pet owner, but there might be another example Okay, so I'll give you one. One of my other clients at the moment, I'm just throwing out ideas. 
My client, she sells beautiful handbags. They're sort of styled off designer handbags, but at a way lower price point, really beautiful handbags, very Instagrammable. And she's sort of starting out. So do you have any tips in that sort of area? Yeah, absolutely. I think that for something like that, what I would love to to see is using people to promote the product. So again, instead of just showing a picture of the product with a price, to make it more about how walking around with a handbag makes you feel. And the way you can do that, especially if, you're, if you have beautiful designs, is to find micro-influencers that would be more than happy to accept a handbag and post it on their Instagram and show it off. So something like that, well, I'm combining two things here, your unique value proposition, which is that this is a unique design. It's maybe similar to the high-end designer brands that you're familiar with, but it's not. It's a unique design. I would potentially focus on the designer, especially these are uh, these are unique designs that she makes and they're only hers. Is that the case? Yes, yes. I would make them really, really special. And I would really make it feel like almost move away from the designer brand and making it less about buying something that's less off the designer brand and instead make it more about, let's call her Mary, Mary's design, that you're buying an, an original Mary. And the way that you can make that brand more powerful is to have other people promoting it. That's why I mentioned the influencers, but not the mega influencers. That's too expensive. Micro-influencers will do it for free, and they'll love you for it too. So you'll create small brand ambassadors that might have you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 followers, and they'll take your bag, They'll wear it around, they'll post on Instagram about it without necessarily making it salesy because salesy, I find, doesn't really work that well. But if they have a following that is that, that cares about fashion and all of a sudden they have a, a handbag and they say that this is my original Mary or something like that, mm-hmm. like a cool cutscene name that, that talks about the designer, then people are going to want to find what is this Mary brand that I haven't heard about yet. Again, it's all about emotion, right? If I'm following someone that I I like their style, and now they have this handbag, I want to know about it. So that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to actually focus on the fact that they do look like the designer brand, right? Because you want to think about what your audience is looking for. Is your audience looking to get the designer handbag, but they cannot afford it. So they're looking for something cheaper that is as close to that as possible. Or is the audience looking to get beautiful handbags? And we're just, you know, they happen to look like the designer handbag, which is just, again, on the subconscious, something that adds to it, you know, because it looks nice and it looks familiar. So could you do that from both angles? Could you, would you suggest... So. You have to do it from one, you think so. I think you have to pick, yeah. I always say that it's important to pick one, unless if, if, if the two angles are along the same lines. But in this case, it's very different. In one case, mm. I'm talking about building a, a brand. That's a unique brand. I would choose to be honest. Mm. You're still, yeah, a unique brand because 
if I wanted the designer handbag at a lower price, I can just go on eBay and buy a fake. And it's going to look almost identical, right? But there are some people that are not into that. They're saying, if I cannot afford the original, I don't want to buy it. But now, those people might still like that handbag. And so, if you're able to move them away from the, buy the mindset that they're buying, you know, a fake, basically, but into the notion that they're buying an original Mary, then you have something special. You can really start building other brand, and you're using the subconscious that it looks familiar. This is a really powerful emotion. Familiarity is really, really strong when it comes to sales. So I think that it could be really special. I'd love to know the name, by the way, too. If we can get some beautiful handbags that do not cost an arm and a leg, I'm very into that my life. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I'm actually looking at getting one as well because I really love them. So let's talk about it after this uh, interview because yeah. definitely. Um, so I guess that one of the other things that I want to know is based on that, you were just talking about influencers and I'm all about influencers at the moment. It's really the big thing this year and next year it will be as well. So I think people getting into that is it's the time you must be into working with influencers. But on that marketing um, idea of the branding and the um, different stores, e-commerce stores, are there any stores that you think like can't be working with influencers? I'm going to say no. At the same time, I'll say that I haven't put a ton of thought into it, so maybe there is an example where it might not apply. The reason why I don't think there is is that whatever you're selling, you have an audience. Sure. Whatever your audience might be, they're drawn to someone, you know? The influencer does not have to be the traditional influencer that comes to mind, which a lot of times is a younger girl wearing something or... Bikini, yeah. Yeah. That, that there is so many types of influencers. There are amazing journalists that are super focused on their work, but yet they also have their beliefs. So if your product plays to their beliefs, they can become your influencer. So that's how you have to think about it. Influencers basically means people. So is there any kind of product that wouldn't work... Uh, that wouldn't be able to be marketed through people? No, I cannot think of anything, really. No, I, I'm glad that you say that because I think the same way and that's really, I have people say to me, oh, yeah, but you don't understand, I can't do it. And I think a lot of people need to step outside the box that they're in and take off the blinkers and actually open themselves up to, you know, there's so many possibilities. And you made a really good point then that there's journalists as well. You know, I talk about, you know, you can use Twitter and you can use YouTube, but you're right. There's many other areas besides just the social media platforms of what we think of as, you know, nobodies who are becoming influencers, but there's actually people out there that, you know, they're journalists, they're writers, they're many other scientists, whatever it might be, they can definitely be influencers. Exactly. So what are some of the most common mistakes that you see brands making and how you would like them to avoid it? Is there anything that you can suggest in that area of how people can avoid making mistakes? Sure. So there's two different brands. There's a brand that somebody decided to make, like I decided to create a product and I create a brand around the product. Then there is the, the brand or company or business that 
resell the product. So I think that the two, even though they're distinctly different in the way that you're going to source your product, the mistakes are the same and the solutions are the same too. And the biggest mistake here is focusing on specs. And specs can be the price, it can be the material. Again, depending on what you're selling, like, you know, unless if it's something very, very, very spec driven, which again, I cannot think of too many examples. When we discredited the specs on the computer and on a phone through Apple, then you really want to think about who you're addressing, who is your audience, focus on your audience. The, one of the most common mistakes is when I have someone tell me, oh, I sell pool floats. You know, you've seen them, those different animals, they have unicorns. Yes, yes, I've got about five of them here at the moment. <laughs> yeah, we have tons too. So I was working with a client, that, uh, one of the ones that started the trend, and I'm like, okay, so who's your big, biggest audience? Where are the people that are buying the most? And he's like, oh, anybody. I'm like, oh, really? People without a pool will buy it? <laughs> oh, good example. I love you. I love you. That is so perfect. That's so true. <laughs> right? Yeah. So then we really dove in and we looked at the, into their stats, their analytics, their marketing campaigns, and we looked at their customers and hell no, their audience is super, super specific. It actually falls down to a very specific age group, you know, within about 20 years. And we were really able to focus on the audience that really made a difference to their sales. So the most common mistake is thinking that your product appeals to everyone because it just seems like something that anybody could use. It doesn't matter. The question is, who's going to buy it? Um, so that's number one. And then number two, once you find your audience, just sell to that audience. Stop thinking about anybody else. Once you become established and you capture that audience, then maybe you can extend you know, your grasp to more audiences, but you have to start somewhere. You have to start small, you have to start specific, and then grow from there rather than the reverse. No, that's perfect. And I'm just laughing as you say that. So what, you, next you move on to the people that have a bath and let them try to buy it from you? <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You know, it's ex I love that example that... It's not everybody because not everyone has a swimming pool or lives next to the water to be able to use it. So, of course, not everyone's going to buy those pool floats. And I have this um, argument with my clients all the time that, you know, you need to really understand your audience. So, that is brilliant. Have you got any good examples that you can share with us of companies that are doing all of this right, that are using the unicorn principle and branding themselves correctly? I would say that if you were to look at independent companies that are hyper successful, you'll find that almost every single one of them is doing this. Um, and a, a nice example is Pura Vida, the Pura Vida bracelets, how they, the whole, uh, the whole background is that they wanted to bring more jobs to Costa Rica, I believe. I don't remember what country it was, but the, the idea is all the same, that they created jobs for an, an underdeveloped country. And they really, really made a big difference. So every piece of marketing that they have is going to be, is going to hint to Costa Rica. 
is going to hint to giving back. And it's all through the bracelets. So they're an accessories brand. But it's almost always about the feeling um, that comes into buying one of those bracelets. The feeling that you're part of something bigger. You're really helping people. You're giving back. While at the same time being fashionable. So I think they're a beautiful example of how, how to do this. Um, and a good example to follow in general about how they structure their site, how they focus on their story. And now they're growing and growing and growing and they're becoming a, a big brand name in itself. So I think that once, once you have that brand leverage, then you can potentially deviate a little bit, but it always, always has to be there. You always have to stay true to, to what made you. Because if you lose that, the audience might follow with it. Yeah, good advice. It's definitely good. So that's Pure Vida, did you say? It's a Pura Vida, P-U-R-A-V-I-D-A, Pura Vida bracelets. Wonderful. So everyone should go and take a look at that website to give a, you know, to get a good idea of some of the concept that you're talking about. But your website's also a really good source for that as well, because I saw that you've got a couple of great clients on the homepage and that Melt, the lipstick brand you were talking about is there on the website as well. So I think that sounds like another brand that people should go and check out. I would say Melt is the definition of what we talked about. I just used it at the beginning, so I wanted to give you a different one. Sure. Uh, Melt started, continued, and will continue to always be about the same one thing, which is being bold, standing out. And there are so many companies that have copied it. So I, I would say that their colors are no longer as unique as they used to be at the very beginning. Or maybe I shouldn't say that, I guess. But No, I'm actually I'm actually a hairdresser of and makeup artist for oh. fifteen years. So I can actually say you're right. Yeah, that they but they got in there, but they've created themselves a market. Yeah, and they've got that following now. So it's fine that other people have got those I'll never forget this. I was at my wife's store and a lady walked in and this guy said, Oh, is this melt? Huh? Uh-huh, wow. Now it, it became a synonymous with a certain style of lipstick and that's an independent brand that's not a multi-million dollar mm. marketing campaign that can do that it was done independently and relatively bootstrapped so they grew organically that's that's really really powerful because i've seen it done with money as well you can oh of course that. of course yeah um but no, I think that it's it's just a beautiful example of, of how to do it right and how to stay consistent. They, they still are following exactly the same approach they did in 2012. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we have been on for a very long time and you've given so many amazing pointers. I'm going to have this up on the website. I've got you know some takeaway notes that I'm going to put up there in bullet point. But before we finish up, I want to ask you, do you have any final pointers that you can add to everything that you have given us information on today? I would say that as much as you might think that a product looks good, the price is good, so people are going to buy it, just try to forget about that for a minute. Because I find that's the biggest, biggest, biggest reason why companies fail. You want to always focus on why would anybody buy this type of product. Forget about your specific product. Think about the type of product. What is the product, the problem that you're trying to solve? And structure your whole branding and marketing around that. And that's how you can make a successful company. 
So reiterating basically everything we talked about, but that's really what it comes down to. You need to forget about how you feel about your product because you're just too close to it. You know? mm. And especially if it's not a product that's super unique. And you're just thinking, oh, you know, I, I, I'm originally from Greece. We were in Greece about a month ago. And my dad sold me this amazing belt that, it's, that stretches. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. And it was so cheap, too. So then I thought, oh, maybe I should just launch a small store selling the belt because it looks so amazing. Well, five minutes later, I find out that there is 35 manufacturers in Alibaba that make the same belt. There is 55 sellers on Amazon that sell variations of the belt. And there are probably a few hundred of them on eBay as well, ranging from anywhere from the cost that I could buy it at, selling at that price, all the way to five or ten times as much. Mm. So it's, it's it's really interesting to see that there is just so much supply and there is just so much product that the product almost becomes irrelevant. And it's all about how you, what you're going to build around the product that will sell it. Yeah, sorry. And I think Melt, the lipstick brand, is a really good example of that. Like you said... Yeah, it once was something really, really unique, but now, like, I know all of the Revlons and the L'Oreal's, they're bringing out all those bold colors they have for a few years now. And that's no longer unique, but they have built something more than the fact that the colors are bold. So you're right, you know, even if you come up with something, don't be scared that, you know, someone's going to take that idea from you or someone on Amazon's going to sell it cheaper than you. You just need to keep building something emotionally attached to your brand. Exactly, because there's no way they can take that away from you. Melt, Melt was unaffected when Revlon came up with uh, a similar line. And they, of course, they will argue that their product is a little bit different. And that's, you know, I don't even know if that's true because I'm not like the, their customer. But what I do know is that their customer is so passionate about it but they're not even going to look at Revlon. Nobody cares about Revlon. It's not melt. Yeah. I, you know what? I just made me think of another thing is that, you know, that uh, Dita Von, what's her name? The She's the one with all the tattoos. She recently, her brand nearly plummeted all because of something emotional. She wrote something on her Instagram. Oh, that's right. It was about vaccinating her baby has nothing to do with her lipstick or her makeup. She sells, you know, everyone was raving about her makeup, how amazing it was. And then suddenly she writes something about not vaccinating her children, an emotional topic. And suddenly her brand nearly went completely and people started putting all these posts up going, don't worry, there's these other 10 brands that sell exactly the same sort of makeup. So her emotional comment it just proves exactly what you've been saying, yeah, that it's all about people buying from her on emotion because if who cares about vaccinating what she does with her baby if she vaccinates exactly. it or not. Why would that matter in terms of your lipstick? But it does because it's emotion. That's exactly what yeah. it is. Yeah. It's, it just, I just made that connection. I'm like, wow, it's actually really powerful just how important the emotion is attached to what you're selling. Yeah, because you're also – so Kate Von D sells – sees part of the brand, if not the brand. Yes. So that's what you're associating with the product that you're buying. So if now that thing that you're associating is all of a sudden tainted, then the brand becomes less appealing and the product becomes less appealing. So it's it's so powerful and so interesting at the same time. Right? <laughs> 
buy, they buy on emotion and justify with logic, like you said. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Raphael, it has been absolutely amazing talking to you. I knew this was going to be the case. I knew I was going to learn so much from you. It's not very often where I can turn around and say, you know, I got so much, you know, I do branding, I do marketing, but you really have given everyone so many amazing tips and advice today. And I'd love to have you back on another stage as well, because I'm sure that there's a million more things that we can talk about. But before you go, I just want to find out, I know you were talking to me about a worksheet that you've got. You haven't got it yet on this actual interview, but you can let people get access to it if they email you. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. We're working on it. It's basically going to be a worksheet that talks about the unique value proposition and also has a couple of columns that you can use to write down ideas and sort of rate your ideas. So you can really hone in into what's the one that will most likely be the most powerful. And it's not ready yet. I'm I'm hoping we'll have it ready in about a week. But if anybody emails me at Raphael at generateculture.com. So that's R-A-F-A-E-L at generateculture.com. And just maybe put a worksheet as the subject line. Then as soon as it's ready, we can send it over. Fantastic. That's amazing. And I also recommend that everyone goes and checks out your website, which is generateculture.com and just take a look at what you're doing because it's absolutely amazing. And you also told me you've got a blog post about the unicorn principle, which is a little bit more detailed than we got a chance to talk about today that maybe people want to give that a read as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a pretty gigantic post, but I think it's an amazing read, especially if I may say so myself. <laughs> but we did a lot of research. We have examples. Uh, there's an outline of what they'll see in the worksheet as well. And it really helps you think, rethink, and then think once again about what really makes your brand stand out. So I think it's a good, a good read and a good exercise for any person running a business, especially e-commerce. It will help you... Um, take a deeper look into what you're selling and why your audience is buying it. Fantastic. Look, you have just been absolutely amazing today. I'm so glad that I got you on. And it's really, I think this is really center stage at the moment. And there's so many people out there that are using Uberloo, using Shopify, but really trying to stand out from the crowd. It's so important. So I highly recommend everyone to go read that blog post and send out for their email and email Raphael for the worksheet as well, because I really think that this is what makes a difference in people's branding. So, Raphael, thank you again. It has been wonderful having you on my show today. Thank you, Caroline. I really appreciate you having me. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And stay tuned because I've got another great episode coming up next week. And if you have questions for Raphael, please send him an email, raphael at generateculture.com, and he will be happy to answer it for you. So, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Raphael, and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. Join the Facebook group facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash winning with Shopify and get our show notes at justaskparker.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And as a listener, get 20% off at justaskparker.com by using the code podcast.